Well, hello everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing, Jess? I am doing great. I kind of, I, I have to admit, even though I love our evening recordings, I kind of like our little Monday, I mean, uh, morning recordings as well. Yes, me too. Like, and especially this morning because... Like, so cards on the table, y'all. I've been in chaos mode because we've been moving for the last two weeks. But my sister, our lovely producer and spirit guide, came to visit and she grabbed me a latte from my favorite coffee place nearby. So, like, this, it's very, it's very much a day-to-day decision whether I prefer coffee over cocktail. This morning, <laughs> I prefer the coffee hands down. And can I say that's like the best producer ever that will go and get you a latte before you record. Like, I, I right. want that. <laughs> Well, you probably should have her come stay with you for a couple days at some point, and maybe she will. This is true. This is true. I know. Um, it's a great way to start the day and get going. So how how is the move? What How is everything going in your life? I am tired and sore, but <laughs> it's, um, for the most part, it's actually not half bad. Um, having the two weeks to actually move, like we didn't have to get out like right when the lease was ending because our lease didn't end until the end of the month. And so, like, we had that little bit of transition time, which we have abused. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. I, I, I have... It's not that I have learned. I was okay with Joey's plan to wait until we had a place before we started packing. Right. Because I knew we were moving nearby. So I'm like, this is going to be the time to see if that plan actually works. It right. did not. And he has learned. <laughs> and in the future, we will pack far in advance because oh. it has been absolute... Chaos. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. It's it 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 sucks, but it's also very funny. So I'm yeah. kind of down for it for this particular move. <laughs> but um and none of our listeners can see it thankfully, but you can see behind me that I am currently in our closet, yes. which is Joey's new favorite joke. He has to become a closeted gamer because we don't have a guest room for him to use anymore. <laughs> So are you going to be a closeted podcaster now? Apparently. Or this is my sound <laughs> studio. I haven't decided yet. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that seems a little more professional and a little less sad. <laughs> but yeah, he's going to get a massive kick out of that joke. It's a nice closet. <laughs> it is a nice closet. It's huge. It is. I was about to say, it's pretty nice. I kind of love it. And the sound, the clothes will help with the sound. Like, I think it's going to be perfect. Exactly. It'll be fantastic. It'll work beautifully. That's awesome. Well, very good. Well, I'm so glad y'all are in the new house. I know it's kind of, y'all are still kind of moving in, but that's, that's wonderful. You're yes, in. <laughs> it is very nice. And so far, minimal haunting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. the, the house is from the 50s. Yes. And um, I don't know if it's the way sound travels or if the house is haunted by a corgi. But oh. the first night we stayed the night, I woke up the next morning with like, it sounded like a little dog barking within five feet of my head. Very interesting. And that was an inside wall. Like it was to the laundry room. So like, that's not, that's not like it's the neighbor's dog or anything. Right. Don't know how or why, but that's what woke me up was the sound of a little dog barking. Interesting. We don't, we not only don't have small dogs in the house anymore, but my actual dog is with my sister this on this night. So like, we, no idea. Yeah. That, I was going to ask like how, if the pets reacted to it or if they picked up on it. No. Nope. And the cats adjusted to this house fast. Like they oh, were a little good. bit unsure and Balder oh. was a scared little bunny rabbit like he was in the first house. But I think oh. having the other two exploring actively kind of yes. got him out of his shell a little bit faster. And so wow. it seems to be going well. But yeah, so far, <laughs> minimal haunting activity, very few strange noises. I love it. Well, that's good. And it seems like the house has a really good energy to it. Like it, it feels does. good. That's awesome. 
Uh, Brie and I were laughing yesterday because uh, the guest room that she stayed in, while it's still a guest room, uh-huh. is probably the most haunted feeling. Like, nothing's happened, <laughs> but it's got, like, the most weird vibe in the house. Yeah. And she's like, I don't believe you. And so we walked around the whole house again. And we decided that the closet isn't haunted. It oh, feels okay. like it has a little bit of an attitude problem, and it's very happy that it's not going to be used just as a closet. Oh, okay. Okay. Very, and that's not the one you're in? Is that yeah, the one that, that I'm in. Okay. Like, well, it's going to be a sound it? studio. It's going to be okay. a gamer's closet. And then it's it's not just a clothing closet. So it's okay. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. Yes, because we needed an update. I mean, because that's one of the questions I always want to know. Like, so is it haunted? <laughs> Are there spirits? <laughs> Not as far as I can tell, but it might also be one of those where they're just really happy that we're here because it was That's empty true. for a while. That's Because the family true. that was selling it, they had already moved to um, a different, like they had already moved out months mm-hmm. ago, I think. So mm-hmm. I think it's also happy to have company in the house. It's, oh, I'm sure. It's going well. I don't know. I'm also, I've been informed by my mother uh, to th- give us all a throwback to the Supernatural Day <laughs> stories. Uh, her friend that came through for that lovely moment of healing apparently had a hand in us finding a house. So he may have paved the way a little bit. That's wonderful. I love it. I yeah. love that. I thought that was super sweet. I'm like, oh, thanks. That's I fabulous. appreciate it. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, I love it. Very exciting. Well, um, I was trying to think of anything going. Oh, the only thing to update listeners, I... Went to Galveston. Yes! How did that go? I completely forgot. Oh my God, yes. I did the dims in Galveston. <laughs> no, it's fine. It went really well. Um, It was exhausting. Caitlin, we were dimming from 10 until 5 p.m. Like, now, I mean, there were breaks where like first years would get up and then we would get up. But even That's in between, seven hours. It's still seven hours. And even in between, we were doing private readings. So, oh, like... It, I think it went well. Like, I mean, of course, you know me. I'm a perfectionist. So there were some things I'm like, hey, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. But uh, yeah, but overall, except for, but I know my very last contact, like going on at five o'clock, I was just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Can we just? <laughs> and then I tried to do a private sitting like right after that. And I had to apologize because I literally could get nothing. I'm like, I am brain dead. I am exhausting. Like, this is not happening right now. And thankfully, the lady was super sweet. I gave her my card, but I'm like, yeah. But um, but it went well. The uh, metaphysical fair, if anyone is in that area, it was wonderful. Really neat. And yeah, we had a packed room the entire every time we got up to dim. So at first it was kind of empty. I'm like, oh good, my first one, nobody's gonna be in here. And then about that time, like all these people piled in. I was like, ah. <laughs> give me one but no but yeah it was it was really neat and in one of them I got to my favorite one I got to dim alongside Jennifer so Jennifer we got to like tag team it so that was really cool and it was funny because I pulled like something about the funeral and she's like and they did this and this she goes you missed that I'm like I know I missed it (laughs) like she's like you gotta go deeper (laughs) but um but it was but yeah it was positive and of course just being in Galveston is it's funny, you don't go for the pr- pretty water because the water's not pretty and all that, but just being there, something about it, it's just magical. It's just absolutely magical. Oh, and as a preview, I saw one of our future guests at the fair, Yee! Kathleen, um, who is an author, and she does all the ghost tours of Galveston, and she's going to be coming on the show, I believe, in September. 
we have her coming on. So that was really cool to connect with her in person. And she's so excited to come on this podcast. Like she is ready to talk all things Haunted Galveston. So. Oh, yay. That's awesome. I know. I know. So that was super exciting. And then the last thing before we dive into our topic, but I had to show you and I didn't tell you I was getting this. So I'm not a big Lego person. My son loves them, which is awesome, but I'm not a big Lego person. But they have come out with the Lego Haunted Mansion from Disney. No. So I now have a little mini Disney Haunted Mansion that sits on my shelf on my (laughs) spiritualist book. Like it sits on top of my spiritualist manual. Isn't it? I mean, the light's not good, but it's so cute. That is adorable. We need pictures to share on the socials. I will. I'll take pictures. That is so cute. I love it. A little dining room. I know. Like it's my first time to ever put together anything like this for Lego. Um, and it it was actually so much fun. I'm like, I could get addicted. I see how people get into this. Like, yeah. I can fully understand the fun it was. But yes, you know, I have a little haunted mansion for myself. <laughs> That's so cute. Yay. I know. Yes, we will take pictures. We will we will share. So that was like kind of my birthday present for my husband. I'm like, I know this sounds silly, but this is what I want for my birthday. Fair play. I mean, it, it might be silly, but was anyone even remotely surprised? Mm-mm. <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody. I mean, even my in-laws were watching. They FaceTimed us and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like... Putting together my Lego haunted mansion (laughs) (laughs) and loving every minute of it. They were like, oh, cool. I'm like, Chris, did they think I'm adoring now or something? I don't care. I love it. I I think it's fun. Good. You Um, should love it. Yes. Love the things you love unabashedly. (laughs) I do. I do. So, okay. I'm going to scoot that over. And I, I mean... We've, we've gotten to catch everybody up. I guess we'll dive into the podcast today. Absolutely. I'm so excited for the topic. I am too because, oh my goodness, if no one knows, we're talking about Ghostbusters. But more importantly, we're talking about the Aykroyd family and how it inspired Ghostbusters. And this is literally one of my top three all-time favorite movies. I was obsessed with it when I was little. And I think that's kind of what helped lead me down this path. Like, I fell in love with it. Um <laughs> So, and I get to talk about it today. Now, I do, at the top of the show, I do want to make a note that my research, so I pulled from a few other sources, 99% of this research and this information came from an amazing book. It's called A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. And it was written by Peter Aykroyd, who is in, uh, with Angela North, which is Dan Aykroyd's father. The actor and the star of Ghostbusters and writer. So it's so cool. So that book is amazing. And not only is it really cool to get the family's history, I've used it for to research other podcasts we've done because they even do an overview of spiritualism and that history. So it's just a really cool resource. So to get started, on June 8th, 1984, nearly 40 years ago, gosh, I feel old. One of my personal all-time favorite movies hit theaters, Ghostbusters. It was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who also starred in the movie, alongside Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Sigourney Weaver, and Annie Potts. And when it came out, the movie grossed approximately $240 million in the U.S. and more than $50 million abroad, making it the most successful film that year and the most successful comedy of the 1980s, or one of the most successful. I feel like I need to look right now because we're always hearing about how many billions of dollars movies make these days. I'm going to yeah. do a quick uh, inflation conversion. $700,742,252.17. Oh, 
Okay. So still not as much as a lot of the movies nowadays, but... No. But maybe for the time. I mean, there's a whole lot less invested in the movies, too. So it was like, that would have been a lot of profit given what they put into it. Yeah. And I forgot they said how much they put into it. And I like I skimmed past it. I, I Don't quote me on this. I want to say 30 million, but I'm not 100 percent. I think it, but I, that sounds about right. It's how much it took them to make it. But still super popular. So in celebration of the upcoming Ghostbusters Day on June 8th, I thought it would be fun to do a deep dive into the origins of the movie and explore the Aykroyd family's fascination with spirits that inspired this comedy classic. To begin, we have to travel back in time to the man that started it all, Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather, Dr. Samuel Augustus Aykroyd, who the family described in the dedication of the book as a pioneer, a dentist, philosopher, ethical humanist, and foot soldier in the spiritualist movement. I had to include the whole description. So wait, great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather would make him, that would be in the spiritualist, like, heyday. Yeah, it was Dan Aykroyd's, yeah, great-grandfather. So yeah, great. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting. He is, and we're going to look at when he gets started. It's definitely in the heyday. But most of his seances he actually does aren't until the 20s. So kind of towards the tail end. Yes, yes. And because of his fascination, he created this lifelong interest in the paranormal that would spread throughout his family through all the generations. They would all be fascinated by it, which is so cool. Now, what's incredible is that we know so much about the Aykroyd family's history with spiritualism because Dr. Aykroyd kept journals, 83 (sighs) of them to be exact, from... I know, from 1905 till 1931, that contained his thoughts, his observations, handwritten letters to family and friends, uh, letters he wrote to the editors of newspapers, so just this wealth of information, and most of it was descriptions of seances that he had at his farmhouse. Cool! I, I mean, as historians, I was thinking about us, I would just kill to have that. I would lose my mind if we came across that for our family. I mean, that is such a wealth of information. I love it so much. I do, too. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Mr. Samuel. He was born on March 22nd, 1855 in the rural area of eastern Ontario named Storrington Township. He was the eldest son of 14 children to Daniel. I know, big family. Daniel and Martha Aykroyd. And the family lived in a small farmhouse on a beautiful piece of land near Lake Lowborough. And I hope I'm saying that right because I saw like four different pronunciations of that <laughs> depending on if they were Canadian, English. So I, but Lowborough is what I kept hearing. Or I'm, I'm sure my Texas accent is butchering it, but that's as close as I could get. Can- Canada, please feel free to correct us, but don't come for us. We're trying. <laughs> Oh, we, I, I, I literally tried. You, I, I, do you know how many fishing videos I watched? Because all the videos on YouTube were fishing on this lake, and I would sit there and watch them till somebody would say the name, and I'd be like, "Wait, what? What was that?" <laughs> so just, just know if you live there, I tried my hardest. So yeah, correct us, but be sweet about it. Yes. Like, we, we appreciate being corrected. Like, maybe spell it phonetically for us so that we yes. know and we can reference it in the future if it ever comes up again. Yes, because I was trying to listen and spell it phonetically, and each person kind of said it a little different, so. Naturally, yeah. But anyway, a beautiful lake. A beautiful lake. Because um, I've seen the videos, and it's lovely. <laughs> Upon graduation from high school, Samuel moved to the town of Kingston and became a teacher. He taught public school 
children ages 5 to 12 in a one-room schoolhouse in Amherst Island. He also married his wife, Ellen Jane, in 1884, and together they would have two children, Lillian and Maurice James, who was Dan Aykroyd's grandfather. So he comes from the Maurice side. Um, But very similar today, life as a public school teacher proved challenging due to the very low salary, and Samuel decided we've got to do something different. Now, he was a very knowledgeable man and considered himself to be a humble student seeking knowledge. And he was fascinated by subjects that exercised his intellect, especially science. Very into the sciences. So at the age of 34, Samuel enrolled in dental school and opened up his own practice in Kingston in 1892. Now, this is kind of cool. You're going to love this. During the 19th century, dentistry was in a very primitive state and painkilling and numbing drugs were still kind of in a trial and error stage. Mm -hmm. So during this time, one of the more popular forms of pain control was hypnosis or mesmerism. (gasps) What? I know about mesmer. If you don't know about mesmer, (laughs) go back and listen to what, episode two or three? It was two or three. We we brought him up at the beginning because we knew he would come back around. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, while the Aykroyd family doesn't know if Samuel used this technique, they do believe he would have been very interested. And they also believe that hypnotism was possibly one of the things that sparked his interest in spiritualism. So that kind of may have been a little bit of the gateway. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it also doesn't hurt that he lived 50 miles across Lake Ontario from the very birthplace of spiritualism. So, (laughs) you know. He he could smell the smoke from the burned over district, could he? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. May have piqued his interest a little bit. What's going on down there? But regardless, he became a devoted follower of the spiritualist movement. And it was said that he was inspired um, through his readings of Swedenborg and Mesmer and Andrew Jackson Davis and just kind of took it all in. He also paid a visit to Lilydale. <gasps> I know. So in 1908, Dr. Aykroyd, accompanied by his wife, made his first visit to Lilydale. And it's believed that this was his first experience with spirit communication, slate writing, and materialization. That's one heck of a first experience. Dang. I know. you go. I mean, most of us go just like to see a medium or go sit and watch somebody. He goes to Lilydale. I mean, it's the best of the best he's getting. Yeah. That well well played, sir. Well played. (laughs) Exactly. But it would still be several years later before Dr. Aykroyd's circle met for the first seance. So throughout this period, though, he's doing the research and looking into it and studying it. But we're going to get to their first seance, which is actually going to be in 1920. So a pretty big gap. Yeah. Uh, before he's at least holding his own. We don't. It, the book didn't say if he was maybe going to others, but before he's kind of hosting his first one. And very little information is recorded about this initial seance. It was believed to have occurred sometime during 1920 because of a letter from Dr. Aykroyd to Mr. Burnett describing a seance and a spirit by the name of Carol Andrew that was present. And while we don't know much about this first sitting, we do have quite a bit of information regarding the following gatherings and Mm. even the people that joined him. So that's what we're going to look at. So one of the most important elements of a seance is the circle members or the sitters. So the people that come to be there with you. And according to the International Survivalist Society from the time, choosing your circle members was extremely important because there had to be a certain level of trust and comfort among the sitters, which makes complete sense to me. And the most successful seances were found to be those where the same sitters met on a weekly or bi-weekly basis over an extended period of time. 
As one spirit communicator advised Dr. Aykroyd's circle, if you want to make progress and get good results, you want to limit the members of your circle to a chosen few and not keep on letting new ones in. So <laughs> pick your group and stick with it. And I think we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes, too, where it makes sense because, like, you want to get used to each other. You want to know how everybody works. But that does also hold up a giant shiny light of, by the way, this could be fraud because we know you're all gullible. Well, exactly. So, like, we're aware of that. We promise. We've talked about it in the past. But... <laughs> realistically it does make a lot of sense the same yeah. way when you're playing like bridge with fan with, with partners like you want to make sure you have the same partner all the time it 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 works but we also know it's suspicious so yeah exactly exactly i i can totally see both sides of it like you said now, while the identities of all the sitters in Ackroyd Circle have been lost over time, we do have an entry from 1923 listing a group of people who are believed to be the core, like, chosen few who attended mm -hmm. most of the seances. And, of course, it was Dr. Ackroyd and his wife, Ellen, Mr. William Guild, who often took notes, which is why we have this information. Oh, note takers, yes. Dr. Ackroyd's sister, Miss Annie Worrell of Toronto, Mr. and Miss Shirtliff, Mrs. George Nobes, and Mrs. Frances Maloney. Also on occasion, Dr. Aykroyd's son, Maurice, and his wife, Marjorie, and Dr. Aykroyd's grandson, Maurice Jr. They Aww. would come, which is really cool because it kind of talked about how Maurice um, Jr. would kind of like look in sometimes on the seance, like he'd kind of try to spy in, and eventually it's like, do you want to just come to these? <laughs> like, you can just come, like... You don't have to hide over there. Like, you can come join us, bud. Come on. Come on in. Exactly. Exactly. Now, of course, Dr. Aykroyd was merely the host or facilitator of the seance and the group. You have to have a medium back then to do this. Mm. So they enlisted the services of Walter Ashurst, the Aykroyd family medium. And that's what they called him. I love it. Did he just serve that family? Like, this was this like a Fox Sisters kind of thing where he lived on site and was available on call? We'll talk about it because it kind of sounds like it. I don't know if he lived on site. They say that they, in, in quotations, adopted him. But that could also just mean like they took him on as like, you're going to be our medium. So yeah. I don't know that that actually means they adopted like what we think. But we'll talk a little bit about him. So he, they met, uh, Dr. Aykroyd met Walter Ashurst one early afternoon in 1917 while walking along Princess Street in Kingston. And according to the family, it said that Walter approached Dr. Aykroyd and proclaimed that he thought he was a medium and wondered if the doctor could help him, help him find out if he truly was. Just walked up to him. <laughs> hmm. I know. So at the time, Walter was working as a machine operator at the Kingston Locomotive Works. Um, but he was originally from Newark, New Jersey, and he told the Aykroyds he had been receiving visions since he was a small child. And like we've seen with past people we've talked about, sadly, his father used to beat him when he spoke of them and told the young boy they were just nightmares, which... Incredibly unhelpful. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, that's pretty common for the time period. Honestly, that's still more or less yeah. common, even though sometimes it's not always physical abuse, it's... Literally why I'm so grateful for my mother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, very true. Yeah. 
exactly. Dr. Aykroyd agreed to help Walter, and for the next four years, his gifts as a trance medium evolved under the guidance of an experienced local medium who assisted with his development. So, but th- so obviously, there are other mediums in the area, and they're kind of working with Walter. So Walter's early seance experiences as a medium for Dr. Aykroyd's circle were said to be extremely unpleasant, and we've actually got a description of what some Ooh. of these early ones were. Yes. So it said that for the first 20 minutes or so, he would see various spirits and describe them. Okay, not bad. Ooh, this is where it gets tricky. His descriptions then were usually accompanied by physical side effects, such as pains and aches and the Aww. sensation of having crushed or broken bones. And it was believed that these were either the diseases or accidents yeah. or things people experienced at the time. Of he their was passing. channeling their causes of death and their like yes. end of life pain. Ooh, yes, that's rough. Yes. Yes, so that's kind of how it started for 20 minutes. Then he would go into a passive state that lasted for an hour to an hour and a half, during which he was fully entranced and completely unaware of his surroundings and what he was saying. Once that was over, he regained his awareness, coughed considerably. Wait, are we channeling Walter? Is that why we're coughing? (laughs) That's why we're both coughing so much today. I knew it. That's it. But he would cough considerably and in other ways seemed quite distressed. And when, okay, this kind of cracks me up. And then when he came back from his trance state, very tired, he's been coughing up a storm. His first request was always for a cigarette, water, (laughs) water or tea. Not even a glass of wine, like just straight to the other thing that's going to make you cough. I know, as I was reading that, and I'm like, this guy's been coughing. And then I'm like, he's going to want water. Nope, he wants cigarette. Maybe it's not the spirits. Maybe it's the smoking. <laughs> I'm I'm getting Constantine vibes from this one. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Maybe some hot tea or water with lemon. That may help. Maybe just a nice deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> Literally anything. I know. But smoke in the lungs. I know. After you've just gone through that, that. He needed the calming effects of the nicotine and the gum didn't exist yet. I mean, I get that. Like, I totally get the calming effects, but I would have started with some, something to drink. <laughs> yeah, a glass of water, then the cigarette, maybe? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, during these early seances, Walter brought through a group of regular spirit visitors because as we've noticed during this time period, there's always like the regular spirits that come through. Absolutely. So for him... One was, um, so here they are. One was Li Long, who was said to have lived in China during the Ming Dynasty. One they just called the Blue Light, who at first would not reveal his identity, but later informed the group that he was a prince in ancient Egypt. Mike Whalen, an Irishman. And three men listed in the notes as Native Americans, which was standard. You see that a lot. Yeah, yeah you see that a lot. The, the interesting one to me is the Blue Light. And that's all they referred to him as in the notes is the blue light. So see the one the the one that I have the most interest in is just the random Irishman because that's oh yeah that's true the least standard and the more like okay maybe you aren't making all of it up <laughs> that's true oh and I left out there was also a spirit uh, known as Moore and it was spelled M O O R but not a lot is said about him he was just one of the first ones to make his appearance at the seances so was that his name or his lineage like he was from Spain or North Africa it sounded like it was his name but they kind of he's not mentioned a whole lot after like he kind of the blue lights the one they mention a lot and that's who we'll talk yeah, about that's valid and I mean given that some names are basically nicknames given by people who look at physical characteristics of you and don't call you anything else <laughs> could have been both. Could be yeah, his it could have lineage been. and his name 
Absolutely. Now, Walter was not a direct voice medium. All the spirits spoke openly through Walter's own vocal mechanisms. And it is said that when each spirit came through Walter, he would remain in a deep trance, but his appearance, his voice, his stance, his persona, and everything would completely change. Mm. Which I have heard about this. Tony Stockwell talked about this. When you go into a trance, and doing this, how your facial features, people swear your facial features actually change and look more like the spirits, which sounds so cool. That's so trippy. Yeah, it is really trippy. Now, by 1921, Walter had become the sole medium for the circle. So he is he's ready to go now. He's gone through his training. A typical seance for Dr. Ackroyd's circle began with the sitters gathered around the table. Of course, Walter the medium was sitting in his usual place with his head bowed, oblivious to the room around him. They began their meeting as they always did with a prayer, and they held hands silently around the table, and the seance would begin, and Walter would go into basically what we just described. Now, despite the challenges of the earlier seances, especially for poor Walter, (laughs) Dr. Aykroyd and his group persisted. And in the early days, they were pretty content to just get and, and found it a success if they got a voice or if there was some clairvoyance or table tipping, little things. Yeah. But later, as Walter's abilities grew, they wanted more. And the big thing they were going to f- go after for years to come is materialization. They Shocking. wanted. I know. That's what they wanted. If you read the book, there are so many paragraphs um, taken straight from the journals, which is so cool, of descriptions. I, I'm not going to read all of those for you. I put a lot of those in my initial notes, and it was like 25 pages, and that's just a lot. We cut them down, I promise. So I'm going <laughs> to offer you t- <laughs> that It was a lot. So I'm going to offer you just two, because it's really cool to hear in his own words what their yeah. seances were like. Okay, they had at least 80 seances between 1921 and 1933. And those were specifically just to produce a materialized spirit. So, yeah, they're trying. Wow. And they said they kept receiving a number of positive signs that encouraged them to continue on this quest. And so this is from Dr. Aykroyd talking about these seances. He said, we sat in the dark most of the time. Sometimes we were requested to light the lamp for a period of five minutes or so while the medium rested and to also relax the tension of the sitters. During this rest, the medium would remain in the trance state in a stiff and upright position as if he were a piece of statuary. We had some remarkable developments and striking phenomena considering the circumstances and the comparatively short time we have been sitting for materialization. So they feel like they're they're getting a few good things. They also he also went on to say a number of lights appeared in different parts of the room and in the vicinity of some of the sitters. Some of these lights were small and some quite large. These lights would come and go. There was no possibility of these lights being produced by artificial means or of their coming into the room from any outside source. Then we heard some whistling and what seemed to be independent voices close to the medium, right by the side of his neck and shoulder. These were distinctly heard by all the sitters and were considered very wonderful and convincing. So that's kind of a description of one of the seances. Now, what's interesting about these lights, unless, and I, I honestly, I don't think he's one of those that was just faking it. I really don't. I think he was so like, this was his passion. He was so devout in it. And that's, that's an interesting tidbit. If this is happening in your home and you're seeing these lights and it's like, I can't explain where they're coming from. 
it lends a little more credence to me where if you're like going to some random medium's house and you're like, there's lights all over the place. It's like they could be doing that. But in your own home, I'm like, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, he would have needed setup time where you didn't notice him rigging things up. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, that that seems a little, in- I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty fascinating. So for the next several years, there are many seances with little more than these mysterious lights and some automatic writing. Yeah, so I mean, they're, they're still trying. And Dr. Aykroyd once said in 1923, in these seances of ours, we seem to be on the borderland of some very wonderful things which are quite new to this materialistic age, but which were not unknown in past ages as recorded in history, both sacred and profane. I love the sound of borderland. Me too. That's awesome. I know. I like want to take that. Like I want to, I love that word. I like it so much better than the overused description of piercing the veil. I do too. We were just, you know, we we moved into the borderland for a while. Like I like that so much more because it makes conceptually more sense and then on top of that it's not the one that we heard a hundred thousand million times <laughs> i agree when i read that i was like i don't know and just when you said it there's something that resonated so much of the borderland because i feel like as mediums that's what we are we're kind of going back and forth in that world a little bit yeah like, we kind of reside near the borderland and mm-hmm. we you know cross back and forth as needed i oh i love it i love it yeah so thank you dr Ackroyd. i'm going to start using that in my but I'll give you credit. I'll give Dr. Ackroyd credit. Yeah, we hope we hope you don't mind. But yeah, we like it. Okay, before we talk about this next story, forgive me to my listeners. Again, I tried to look, look up how to pronounce this name. It's spelled W-R-I-E-D-T. W-R-I-E-D-T. If this is your last name or you know how to pronounce it, please write it. Please write to us. So we're going to do our best. Um, but she was a famous medium. Her name was Etta Reet. We think we're pronouncing that correctly. That's what YouTube said, but we all know what you can trust on YouTube. (laughs) Exactly. Regardless, Miss Etta was famous during the time period. I've seen her name pop up all over in this history. Mm. But the Ackroyds actually sat for a seance with her in 1922. I mean, so they're going to Lilydale. They're sitting with Etta. I mean, they're kind of all over. Um, The seance was held in a private home at Five o'clock p.m. and was attended by Dr. Ackroyd, his wife, and a few others. And what's interesting was during the seance, one of the spirits that came forth was a woman the Ackroyds had actually met in Lilydale. Oh, yeah, that's who came forth, and she asked them, "Do you remember me?" And Dr. Ackroyd replied, to our great surprise, Mrs. Moss asked if we did not remember our seances with them at Lilydale, which of course we surely did and never shall forget, for they were among the most wonderful experiences of our lives, and time can never erase them from our memories. Aww, that I is so know. sweet. And it gives us insight into how much they loved Lilydale and right? going to Lilydale. It was funny. I didn't go into the story because it had been too long, but there was like other spirits that came in. That nobody really could claim. And Dr. Ackroyd even commented, like, we were all we were all kind of hoping to hear from our loved ones in spirit, which that's kind of why you go to a seance. Like you yeah. want to hear from your loved ones. Kinda, so, yeah. <laughs> like, still considered a great success. Like they were still very pleased, but they're like, we kinda hope to hear from our people, <laughs> not these people we don't know who they are. <laughs> Yeah, like they have good stories and interesting information, but we went to the bus stop to pick up our friends and family. Could we maybe exactly. get the people we came for, please? I know. I just thought that was a little funny note. But since it wasn't success, they decided to hold a trumpet seance 
next. Ooh. I right. know. No, it didn't go well. It was. It kind of went well, but so there. It's going along. The trumpet is apparently floating through the air. Naturally. Voices are coming out, but then Doctor Ackroyd's little four-year-old grandson Maurice Jr. came into the room, and when he opened the door, light came in, and the trumpet dropped, and the seance ended. No, I know. That is better than what I thought it was going to be, though, because I thought you were going to say he opened the door and they saw the string that was holding the trumpet up. No, 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 no. Apparently, when he opened the door and the light hit it, it dropped. And the seance was over. That's 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 still sad, but it's less upsetting than what it could have been. Well, exactly. Exactly. Nope, nope. They said it was doing it on its own. <sighs> so they kept holding their seances. They were just wanting that materialization so bad. And the messages from the spirits was to be patient, remain in the right frame of mind, continue your efforts. And even in 1931, Dr. Aykroyd's own grandfather, who passed away a hundred years before, came forward and assured the group that he was doing his very best to materialize for them and just to keep going. Now, some of the sitters who were clairvoyant said that they saw Dr. Aykroyd's grandfather. But the ones that, they said they saw him, they even knew what he was wearing, but not all the sitters were clairvoyant, so they didn't get to see it. So it was kind of like, yeah, kind of a bummer if you got to see him, though. Oh, Caitlin, you're going to love this. At Mm. a later seance, they described the appearance of a face forming in a ring of whitish substance. And while they had <laughs> and while they had not achieved a materialization, it seems that they had managed to produce ectoplasm. Bully for them. <laughs> I knew you would be so excited about that. Categorically thrilled. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> and Ugh. now it's I know. As time went on, the circle began to go more grow more frustrated. And the sitters started putting forth a variety of theories for their failures. <laughs> On why they weren't getting materialization. Because it's hard. Exactly. So some believe they needed a cabinet. We need a spirit cabinet. Oh, for pity's sake. I know. But the spirits told them that was not the problem. Then they blamed poor Walter the medium and that he was just too inexperienced. I know. But the spirits assured them it was not the fault of the medium. And they said it was the circle members' attitudes. Ooh. So... I am here for that shade. (laughs) No pun intended because they were shades of whatever. Anyway, um, no, yes, here for that. Absolutely. That's why I included it. I knew you would appreciate this. And the spirit's warning was echoed by spiritualist writings of the time, which claimed that the manifestations at seances depends more upon the nature, disposition, and state of mind of the sitters than the medium. So if there are those that scoff at the spirits, they will not appear to them. So if you're... So then the group became even more selective about who attended their circles because they didn't want any skeptics and they didn't want any scoffers or anybody with negative attitudes that could weaken the atmosphere. At the same time, it'd be terrible if it was one of the acroids that was the problem. I know. I know. We selected everybody else out. Well, you were the problem, babe. Sorry. I know. (laughs) I know. It seems like he was pretty devoted, but mm-hmm. but it makes sense to me. Like, if you have anybody in there that's like, this isn't real, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it happen. But their quest for materialization would continue unsuccessfully for years, but that did not stop them from exploring other areas of spirit communication, including EVPs. Ooh, very cool. Yes. 
Yes, so Dr. Aykroyd and his circle were interested in electronic voice phenomena. And during a seance in 1933, the blue light spirit spoke of a device that could, record, that could record the voice of spirits. He said that the vibrations of spirits are about 100 times more rapid than that of humans and are so fine they form a continuous line of magnetic force. He also said that an electric instrument to communicate with spirits can and will be invented and that we will also be able to communicate with the inhabitants of the planets in not so very distant time. Now, this is kind of interesting. He said that he would bring a man from the spirit world who would be able to instruct Dr. Aykroyd's circle in the building of this instrument. So, a few moments later, blue light goes away and a man, this man comes forward in spirit and he says, I will come again when I will give you a drawing to go by and constructing an instrument by which you will be able to communicate with us. It will be simple in construction and will make communication of a very wide range so that many more people will be able to communicate in touch with the spirits without the use of the human body as a medium. So that's super exciting. They're going to send them the drawings, tell them how to do it. Eh, but the drawings never actually manifested. No, I was hoping I it would like, come about because of like automatic writing style drawing. I know. Like where you're in a trance and you just start drawing out the design. Oh, I was hoping they for that. Heck, it. So they kept trying. The drawings aren't coming. So eventually the spirit of oppression mathematician and physicist. They, they got the name and they figured out who it was. Anyway, they spoke to the circle to inform them that they will never succeed in their creation of an instrument to communicate with spirits because the vibrations are too fine and too many. So it's like... Aww, uh, somebody was optimistic with a good idea and couldn't secure the patent. I think so. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so sad. So their pursuit of EV, EVPs kind of came to a halt. That's a bummer. I know. Now, the last thing... Is they didn't stop there. They were also into spirit photography. Ooh. And there's really two photos that really made this profound effect on the family. One is called the faces in the window. It was two black and white snapshots taken with a small Kodak camera in 1921. It was just a photograph of Dr. Aykroyd's grandson posing with his fishing rod in front of the farmhouse. But after the photo was developed, the family noticed tiny faces that were visible inside the farmhouse window and these included an old man, a child, and then a woman with a child. And Dr. Aykroyd believed the spirits appeared in the windows because they had been holding seances in those rooms. And therefore, the rooms now acted as spirit cabinets. Like they were just kind of bringing forth spirits, which is such a cool theory to me. Did they put that picture in the book by any chance? Because I want to see it. No, but they do have another picture. The next one I'm going to talk about. They okay. do. I think I'll go back and double check, but I don't remember seeing that one. But correct me somewhere if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, however, despite their strong belief in spirits, the family act and even Dr. Aykroyd eventually accepted that the faces were the reflection of light and leaves in the window panes. And it mm. said they never spoke of the photo again. Like that was oh. it. like we don't. I know. Now, the second photo is more of an enigma. And this one is in the book. It was okay. taken at Lilydale when Ooh. they were visiting Lilydale. And it was of Dr. Aykroyd. And when he received the print, it showed several what they called extras in the photograph. So it's very much like what we see with, with like Mumler and some of the other ones. You just see these faces behind him. Um, one of the faces was identified as a long lost love named Annie. And then the other one was identified as his father-in-law, though. And this is using his words, Dr. Aykroyd's words. 
He said it was an attempt to represent a photograph of his father-in-law. Ooh, interesting. But he, he believes it's his father-in-law, but it's like, it's not quite right. The way he phrased that indicates a little suspicion. Well, you would think, but he sent it out to all his friends, and it was eventually published in a book. But that description, it sounds so much like he doesn't believe it. I know, but no, they make it sound like he really did. So I, I, I know that part was confusing to me, too. Maybe he convinced himself later. Or maybe he just thought the spirit was trying to manifest his appearance, and it was like, because they they said he, I mean, fully believed in this photograph. Like, I think he convinced himself later. He may have. He may have. But that one is in the book. And it's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. In December of 1933, Dr. Aykroyd passed to the spirit world himself, never having seen the mani- materialization he had so hoped for. But I mean, he's had this years of research and study and something he was passionate about. Yeah. And the Ackroyd Circle seances continued to be held for another 10 years. Nice. Yeah, and he really created a legacy in this lifelong interest in the paranormal that would spread through his family, including his great-grandson, Dan Ackroyd, who we're going to talk about, and how it would eventually inspire a blockbuster movie, which is so cool. Absolutely. That's still blocking or busting blocks. Like, that... They, they, they rebooted it, revived it, and it's still going strong. Like, Joey's cousin, second cousin, I don't know how to calculate him. Kid's, like, a little bit older than Tom, and he loves Ghostbusters. Like, the only reason the kid started talking to me when we went to go visit was because he had the playset of Ghostbusters, and I, I started asking him questions about it. So, like, it is still making impact in the world no question. Absolutely. It's one of my son's favorite movies. We watched it yesterday as I was working on my notes. I'm like, let's let's watch Ghostbusters. Mm. And of course, I mean, we know Dan's fascination came from his family. But um, he talks about one of the first ghost stories he ever actually heard was from his grandmother who would be sleeping in the farmhouse and have like the covers pulled off of her repeatedly at night. Rude. I know. <laughs> I know. And on another occasion, he said that his mother was nursing him in the bedroom and looked out the window and saw spirits walking in the front yard, which is a little spooky. And he commented that the whole farmhouse and land is just charged. Well, I mean, decades of seances. I'm not surprised. Exactly. Now, he says he hasn't had any extrasensory experiences of his own. The only thing he's he's experienced is having dreams about people when they pass away and getting to say goodbye to them in his dreams. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, which is really cool. And today, he and his wife live still on that land. (gasps) They have their own house, but they redid the farmhouse, and now that's like his office and guest rooms. And I'm like, that is so cool! How do we become friends with him so we can see it? (laughs) Girl, that would be my dream. That would be amazing. That would be my dream. Like He's exceptionally impressive even outside of this concept, but you add this to our absolutely Mm. addicted fandom. And oh my God. Oh my God. If anyone knows him, please introduce us. (laughs) Please do. I was watching a video this morning where he was talking to, is it Joe Rogan? Is he the one that has the show? I think anyway, he was on one of those shows, but he was talking about his family and kind of the origins of Ghostbuster. And he, Kate, 
the passion. He's like, do you know about the Fox sisters? You have to know about the Fox sisters. He made them pull up a picture and he's going through the Fox sisters and the whole history. And you could just feel his passion. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you so much. Oh my God, that is brilliant. And he's just going through the history of spiritualism. And I'm like, if I didn't love you enough, I love you so much more now. And I'm like, you're my favorite human being. (laughs) How this led into Ghostbusters kind of in. So to create the script for Ghostbusters, uh, Dan Aykroyd said he combined his real life ghost stories and stories from his family's seances, plus his love of comedies. So he said it was his quote, Ghostbusters was a marriage of Bob Hope, Abbott and Costello, the Bowery Brothers, and the articles in the ASPR journal about quantum physics, parapsychology, and reader stories. So it was just all this like amalgamation. That makes so much sense. Oh, my God. Yes. And his other quote was, with Ghostbusters, I wasn't thinking in spiritualist terms. I was thinking in paranormal terms, the science of dealing with disturbances. Yeah. By mentioning things like deep trance mediums and ectoplasm in the movie, I could address the science part of it. So he's just incorporating these things from his life and his family. So here's some fun facts to end on. The original title for Ghostbusters was going to be Ghost Smashers. Interesting. But that title was already taken. What? It was already, yes, um, it was already taken. So they went to Ghostbusters. And in the original script, they were actually going to be traveling through space to bust a whole host of mysterious haunts, hanging out in other dimensions. So it's kind of going to be a sci-fi space. Heck yeah. Yeah. And the original script was apparently much darker and the work of the Ghostbusters was doing was much more dangerous, but changes were made and the darker elements were removed because it was always supposed to be like a comedy. Dark comedies are a thing. I want to read the original script. (laughs) I know, I know. Same here. And the original cast was supposed to be, of course, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, and John Belushi. But after Belushi's death, Aykroyd teamed up with Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman to rework the whole screenplay. So it kind of, it it changed around. Yeah, that would have been a very different cast. Yeah, it really would have. It really would have. And this was my favorite part to research to end on. So, I mean, of course, the whole movie is about ghosts. So, yes, it features paranormal elements. Obviously. Yeah, (laughs) a few things I picked out when I was rewatching it. I love that they work in the paranormal studies department of this university, which is a real thing. There's psychology. And then I noticed Venkman, well, he tests his students if you see the movie. He's not really testing them. But he tests them for extrasensory perception using zitter cards. Which I have actually practiced with in psychic <laughs> classes. I was like, you know, as a kid, you're watching it. But as an adult, I'm like, wait, I've used these before to practice. Like, these are real things. Like, what he's doing with them is incredibly inappropriate. But, yes. like, the tool <laughs> itself exists and is real. Exactly, which was so cool. And, of course, there's levitation. There's voice phenomena. And, yes, there is ectoplasm because we have the famous line, he slimed me. There's a lot of ectoplasm. <laughs> Lots of ectoplasm, but not near as creepy as what they used in the Victorian days. No, there is no gauze and egg whites coming out of anyone's nose. No, just slime. It's just slime. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But the last thing, and one of the most fascinating things to research, was the element of Gozer the Destructor, who is the paranormal villain in the movie. And the name Gozer actually has ties to a real-life haunting, which I did not know about. Really? So so we're going to talk about it real quick. So in the movie, Ghostbusters, Gozer the Destructor or Gozer the Gozerian came to power as the leader of the cult of Gozer in 6000 BC and was worshipped as a god by the Hittites, Mesopotamians, and Sumerians. 
And that's just a fictional history that never really happened. At least not that I could find. If it did, I think that'd be fascinating to tell me. Um, But actually, the name Gozer first appears in a North London suburb. So in a quaint little home in Enfield, London, the Hodgson's family was tormented by a poltergeist from August 1977 to October 1978. And it is considered one of the best documented paranormal cases of its time. And it all started with this family. It was actually a single mom with four children, and she heard loud noises coming from her daughter's bedroom. And when she went to tell her daughters, Margaret, 12, and Janet, who was 11, to settle down and go to sleep, she found them huddled in a corner, terrified, because drawers and doors are opening and closing all by themselves. And the terrified family ran across the street to ask for help from neighbors. Now, over the next several months, the house was visited by countless mediums, Journalists, paranormal researchers, they're all coming to investigate this house. Um, And one of the lead investigators, Guy Playfair, actually published a book called The House is Haunted, of all his experiences. So he wrote about more than 2,000 inexplicable paranormal occurrences which took place in the house. This included pools of water spontaneously forming, toys being thrown around, furniture moving and flipping over, drawers and cupboards opening, and several sightings of apparitions. I love this was the note in the book. Not to mention the possession, levitation, and voices <laughs> from beyond the grave. Just not that to on top mention of the absolute yeah. horrifying <laughs> possession and levitation. Wow. Okay. 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 Exactly. So how does Gozer come? <laughs> I know. It's like not to mention just blah blah blah. Like not yeah, to mention exactly. literally everything that's shown in any possession and haunting movie at all now. Exactly. <laughs> now. So where does Gozer come in? Now, the names have been changed. He did change the name of the the psychic and her husband, I guess, to protect their identities. I'm not really sure why. Maybe in his book he explains it. But anyway, so it, she's known as Annie. But on one occasion, Annie, one of the first psychics to try to communicate with the poltergeist, came to the house with her husband to hold a seance. Annie sat in the middle of the room on a wooden chair and began to breathe really heavily. And then she suddenly let out a cry and said, go away. And then Annie began to moan, Gozer, Gozer, help me. <laughs> I know. No, no, no. I know. Nope. And so later, her husband, George, said that this, this is his quote. This Gozer is a nasty piece of work, a sort of black magic chap. So that's all we know about him. <laughs> that's it. That's the quote. That's his whole description. Okay. That's his whole that- description. Yeah, but the Enfield case was so well publicized around the world that Dan Aykroyd heard about it, and he heard about Gozer. Yeah. And so he wanted to incorporate it into his script, so that's how he gave the Destructor its name. Gozer. Yeah, the Enfield haunting is mentioned in a couple other podcasts and other stories, so yeah. it makes sense that if even I know about it, then, like, obviously he would have known about it then, but, like... That is the least descripting descriptor <laughs> in the history of descriptions. Like, come on! I know, but I think it's so cool because I always wonder where that... At first, I thought maybe there's some... Even though I know it's not real, but maybe there's some history or like... Like, did he like shift a name around or something? Like, pull from multiple sources or something? Right. Nope. That's where it came from a real haunting. The name straight came from a haunting. It did. And um, Ghostbusters wasn't the only movie inspired by it. Steven Spielberg's 1982 horror movie Poltergeist was loosely based on the story, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. To the surprise of no one. Uh, yeah, to, exactly. <laughs> and then later, the movie The Conjuring 2 was a 
I mean, it was supposed to be about it. I would almost say kind of loosely based on it. But it was supposed to be about the Enfield haunting and the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren's experiences there. Though they did note they were only there like once or twice. Like they didn't go there that much. But yeah. And they also have a mixed reputation. So. They, they do. They do. Um, but anyway, so it's kind of cool. So that's where if you watch Ghostbusters and you hear the name Gozer, that's really where it came from. Mm-hmm. So just to end, um, just a few, I thought it'd be nice to end with a few thoughts from Dan Aykroyd, who believes that his great grandfather was in a, who was, he describes as an original researcher of psychic matters and events would be really thrilled with the exposure today's media has brought to this discipline. And here's his quote. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll end with a quote about it. He says, all of us at Ghost Corps cannot help but conclude that many of the people who originated these shows were themselves inspired by Ghostbusters to investigate these matters. Millions of people had never heard the word ectoplasm before our movie came out. Now everyone knows what it is. Etheric slime. I just love that. That and is it's glorious. So, it's so true. I mean, I was inspired by the movie. Like, how many people were inspired to to look into these matters and what is this stuff? So, um, it's it's it makes me appreciate the movie even more. Yeah, I can absolutely understand that. No <laughs> question. So everyone should celebrate Ghostbusters Day. I didn't even know there was a thing of National Ghostbusters Day, but it is. And it is, so it'll be, when you listen to this, it'll be the next Thursday, the following Thursday. Yay! Well-timed, well-timed. Did did we plan that? Um, We we planned it to be near the original release date, but I didn't know about Ghostbusters Day either. So, yay. Yeah. Across the board. I didn't know exactly. So, um, watch the movies. Watch, I mean, watch all of them. I, I... I'm going to be a hater. I don't love the all-female one. I'm just going to say it because I love the classic one so much. But if you love them. I do. I do love the all-female one mostly because I'm saying mostly because I didn't watch the original one for a long time. And I will say that watching the old one made all of the reference jokes in the new one far funnier. Mm -hmm. And then it's also one of those where I it it really comes down to when you're not married to the original. It makes it so much better. Like I deeply despise the new My Little Pony because I grew up on the original. Like, so no shame, no shade. Absolutely (laughs) understand. Yes. Whichever one you love, just watch one of them. Um, And uh, and especially I love the newest one, the last one they did. God, that was such a love letter to Ghostbusters fans. And I still cry every time I watch that movie. And there's a new one being made as we speak. Yay! All it's tight. I know. All we know about is it's titled The Firehouse right now. That's probably a work. I don't know if that's going to be the title or the working title, and it's filming. So I'm, I can't wait. But yes, just go watch a Ghostbusters movie or read this book. This book is amazing. It's a great way to celebrate Ghostbusters Day. Yes. And if Dan Aykroyd ever wants to come on our podcast. God, I would die. That'd be amazing. But thank you for, I am so excited I got to cover this topic and, um, it's it's been great. So thank you to all those that listened to it. And happy Ghostbusters Day. Happy Ghostbusters Day. Let us know how you celebrate. If you celebrate, share it with us. Absolutely. And if this is the first you've heard about that holiday, let us know what you plan to do to celebrate. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, until next time. Bye.